now will be forever the myth. You're the king of kings, <laughs> There's always a pecking order. The little peckers never mess with the big peckers. So I'm a rooster, and he's a chicken, so to speak. This episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast is brought to you by our Patreon sponsors. If you'd like to become a Patreon sponsor for the Bodybuilding Legends podcast, please go to our website, bodybuildinglegendshow.com, and you will see the link in the upper right-hand corner or check out the description below. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast, where we talk to the legends of bodybuilding, and we also talk about the history of bodybuilding. I'm your host, John Hansen. On today's show, we are going to have part two of our interview with Jerry Branham, where we talk about the documentary Arnold that is now playing on Netflix. This was a three-part documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger's life. And part one covered Arnold the athlete, which was his bodybuilding career. Part two was Arnold the movie star. And part three was Arnold the politician. So on part one of our interview, which we did last week with Jerry, we kind of covered part two first, where we were talking about Arnold's movie career. So today we're going to go back to part one and talk about Arnold the bodybuilder. And we will talk about Arnold's growing up in Austria and being influenced by Reg Park. Also, the pumping iron footage that was never seen before that was featured in the documentary, which to me was my favorite part of it. So we will talk about all of that and more. So uh, that will be coming up in a second. When I get done with our interview with Jerry, I'm going to read an article uh, by Rick Wayne, and it's about the 1969 Mr. Olympia contest. I'm getting this from the August 1991 issue of Muscle and Fitness magazine, but it originally appeared in an old issue of Muscle Builder magazine, which I think was from probably 1970, because this was about the 1969 Mr. Olympia, which was Arnold's first Mr. Olympia appearance, and he got second place to Sergio Oliva, and Sergio won his third Mr. Olympia. So it's great vintage Rick Wayne writing, as we love on this show, of course. So I uh, saw this. I just got this magazine. I bought it from somebody and saw this article. I'm like, oh, I got to read this again. So I'm going to read that after we get done with our interview with Jerry. Speaking of Jerry, some of those old magazines, I just bought some magazines from a friend of mine off of Facebook, and I got a lot of old Muscle Builder magazines, and I got a picture of Jerry when he was a teenager. (laughs) It was really cool. He just won uh, Teenage Mr. Southern California or something like that in this magazine. So it was from the 60s. So I sent it to Jerry. And if you're a member of our newsletter, Bodybuilding Legends Podcast newsletter, I will post this picture on our latest newsletter. So if you are a Patreon donor, you automatically get our newsletter every week. If you'd like to check out the newsletter, just send me your email. Send it to naturalolympia at gmail.com and I will add you to our mailing list. And we'll put you on the newsletter list for a couple of weeks and you can check it out. So yeah, we'll put that picture there since I obviously can't share it here on the podcast, but that was really cool seeing Jerry's old picture from when he competed. I want to wish Rachel McLish happy birthday. Rachel's birthday was June 21st. She is 68 years old and she still looks fabulous. The queen of bodybuilding, the queen of women's bodybuilding. Rachel was the first Miss Olympia winner. She won it twice. The very first one was in 1980, and she won it also in 1982. And if you were around back then and read the magazines, Rachel was the bodybuilder that everybody looked at. All the guys loved her. All the women loved her. 
She was very, very beautiful. And uh, she was around for uh, many years. I think her last contest was the 1984 Olympia when Corey Everson won. And uh, Rachel, I think, saw that the bodybuilders were going to start getting bigger. And she was, of course, natural. She never took steroids. And she was very, very beautiful. She was probably the most popular female bodybuilder around back then. And she's still super popular. I put a uh, picture of her on my Facebook page. And it got like 300 likes. You know, all these people still remember Rachel, women and men. She inspired so many women to start working out. So happy birthday, Rachel. I'm glad she's doing great. And I'm glad she's looking great. I would love to have her on the show one day. So I will keep trying. I just did a great interview with Brian Moss last week. Brian was the owner of Better Bodies Gym in New York in the early 1980s. And speaking of women's bodybuilding, he really pioneered training at the gym for women's bodybuilding. Back then, it was mostly men who were in the bodybuilding gyms, and Brian advertised his gym to let in women. And then he started his own ad agency because women's bodybuilding was getting so popular that mainstream magazines were looking for women bodybuilders to put in their magazines. So Brian was the boyfriend of Gladys Portuguese, who was another very beautiful female bodybuilder, women's bodybuilder in the early 1980s. And so Brian was representing her. And now Brian is a photographer. And uh, so we had a great interview, really long interview, about an hour and 40 minutes. So that will be coming up probably next week on the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. So you guys are going to enjoy that. So I was glad that I got to catch up with Brian Moss. I never got to meet him before, but of course I knew who he was from all these years in the bodybuilding world. I did put the Mike Quinn interview up on YouTube. And I got a lot of comments on that, so I wanted to read those. If you guys ever have any comments you want to send me about the show, just send them to naturalolympia.gmail.com, and I'll read your email on the air. Okay, my friend Ken said, thank you, John and Neil and Rick, for this. Mike really deserved this. This is in regards to the Mike Quinn interview. This guy says, Tanya Knight passed away. Man, I didn't know that. That hit me hard. She was one of my favorite female bodybuilders from back in the day. Rest in power, TK. I remember watching Rick on ESPN Body Shaping, and I was jealous of this guy and Kendall Hogan being around all those beautiful women. I would read about Neil Spruce in the magazines, and homie was no joke. Mike Quinn was not a favorite of mine, but I admired his physique and personality. Rest in peace, Mighty Quinn. Those Massachusetts bodybuilders like DeMeo, rest in peace, Matarazzo, rest in peace, and Quinn tend to have these powerful, Herculean, dense, and blue-collar type physiques. I still can't believe Tanya Knight passed away. Man, as always, John, great episode. All right. And then this comment says, seeing him pose reminds me of how exciting routines were in the 80s and 90s. Those stomping, hand-clapping sloths on stage should take note. I agree. W.F. Smith says, I think Mike was the best teenage bodybuilder ever. I thought I was big for a teenager until I saw Mike's pictures from the 1981 Teenage America. If he would have been competing in the same contest as me and I saw him backstage, I would have went up to him, shook his hand, and just went home. Andrew says, nice tribute. Ken says, great, great interview, John. Mike was pretty incredible. I remember messaging with him because I lived in Boston for a time. I would pass by the golds that he, Paul, Quadzilla, DeMeo, and Mike Matarazzo came up in, if I recall correctly. They were long gone by the time I was in the area. Much tragedy, but it produced some great champs. Rest in peace, Mike. This one says, love the interview, very heartfelt. This one says, Mike was one of my favorites. 
Latman says, I never hear the Gap Band party train without thinking of Mighty Mike. Rock in it. You've got to bring back Neil Spruce from some stories, especially the Flex Wheeler win in 93 at the Arnold. I didn't know he was working with him. I never heard Flex Wheeler give him any credit for helping him with that best condition ever for him. Paul says, Rick, you are a class act. I like your advice. God bless you. This one says, wow, I can't wait to watch this. Neil Spruce, didn't he train Dexter Jackson or Flex Wheeler back in their heydays? I've never seen any interviews with him. McDonough says, thanks, John. Another positive interview on Mike. RX Muscle did a negative one, speaking wrong on the dead. Funny thing is they never did it when he was alive. Anyways, Mike was just unbelievable. I remember when I was a little kid. Bodybuilders today just don't have the it factor to pull you in anymore. Mike had the look and the electrifying energy to pull you in just watching old clips now. Tyler says, great job, John. I met Neil Spruce at Gold's Gym in New Haven, Connecticut, I believe, in 1988. He gave a seminar, his nutrition analysis program, for approximately 200 people. His calves were insane. Good times. Kevin said, I would like to see Debbie Mugley on your podcast. And Andrew says, I love Rick. So thank you, everybody, for commenting on the video on uh, YouTube. So if you guys haven't seen that, Go check it out on my YouTube channel under my name, John Hansen. I've got a lot of clips of Mike posing. I put took a while to put all this together, but I thought it really turned out good because of all those clips. All right. So that's all I got, guys. So here is our interview, part two of our interview with Jerry Branham, where we're going to continue talking about the Arnold documentary that is on Netflix. And this time we will focus more on Arnold's bodybuilding career. Here we go. I told you the story about Franco. Never really liked me because of that time up in the original yeah, gold yeah. middle story. Yeah. They had that little dressing room upstairs, uh, you know, where the showers were, and the bathroom that had no door, you know, yeah. toilet with no door. And, uh, you know, Arnold used to go, come up there and practice his posing. And, and that particular day, I was just coming home from school. I used to go to the gym. They didn't have lockers. You just hang up your stuff, you know, on the hangers. Mm-hmm. And, it was Arnold posing. I think they were getting ready for one of the Olympias. This is way back in the early 70s. And Franco and him were both posing, you know. And, and uh, I mean, and and so Sergio Bray was there. A lot of the top bodybuilders just happened to be up there at the same. They were yeah. watching Arnold and giving their critiques of Arnold's physique because it was close to the contest. And I said, uh, you know, I said, Arnold, holy shit, man. You look unbeatable, you know. You know a couple of other guys kind of gave me a sharp glance because – they were competing against yeah, them. Yeah. I, I, I forgot for a second that they were there. I was just looking yeah. at them with these gigantic arms and that, you know, pecs like slabs. I mean, yeah, yeah. like unhuman. And Franco was posing. And I looked at him. I didn't say a word because I wasn't impressed with Franco. Yeah. I, I, I thought he was out of proportion. He had the torso of a guy six foot tall. He had these little short arms that, that weren't impressive. He had no cuts in his legs, mm-hmm. his back, but his torso and his back were fantastic. Yeah. So my policy was, look, if you can't say anything good about somebody, don't say anything. But Franco, <laughs> because he heard me say that about Arnold, I swear to you, he took it really personal and ne- was never friendly to me again after that. Yeah. Never, yeah. You know, at the at the uh, memorial for Joe Weider, I took a picture with Franco, and he was he did. If you look at the photo, I think it's on my face. He's, I have my armor. He's not even, he's smiling. He's not smiling in the camera. He looks like a guy who's about to be killed. 
with me standing next to him. He yeah. never forgot that after all those years. That's yeah. why I was surprised when they invited me to his memorial. Yeah. I, I was very surprised. I, apparently, they didn't know that Franco didn't like me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. well, well, let's talk about uh, part one. But first okay. of all, I want to say that I think it was great, you know, that in 2023 they did this documentary about Arnold because I think a lot of younger people don't know uh, about the influence of Arnold, you know, like I listened to this one uh, movie doc movie podcast. It's called the big picture and it's all about movies. They don't know anything about bodybuilding, obviously. Yeah. So the guy who's the host of the podcast, he's about 40. Yeah. So he was asking the producer of the show, who's this kid who's like in his early twenties. And so the producer of the show who's in his forties, he said, you know, he goes, my recollection of Arnold was from when he was like in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, that part of his career as a, as a movie star. So he doesn't even remember Arnold really from Conan or Terminator. I mean, he's yeah. seen those movies, but he remembers them more from like True Lies and, you know, those kind of movies. Yeah. And he yeah. was asking this kid, he goes, what's, what's your impression of Arnold? Like, how did you know Arnold? And so this kid said, he goes, we didn't even know he was a movie star. He goes, we just, we just know the memes about him. Like, get to the chopper. Or I'll yeah. be back. You know, they just heard the sayings. They didn't even know, like, what movies they were from. That's so it. that's how far removed these kids are from, yeah. like, me and you. We know Arnold is the great bodybuilder. And then he became the movie star. And then he became the, all this stuff in the promoter of Arnold Classic and all that. But these guys who are younger, they don't even know about it. They don't even know about Arnold, like, in his early movie star days, let alone the bodybuilder, you know? Nothing. No, you're right. It's good that they showed that. So, you know, yeah. some of these. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I know Netflix is very popular, and a lot of these younger people, yeah, a lot of people watch that, yeah. and uh, they could see, you know, the extent of Arnold's career and how yeah. how how well known he was in bodybuilding circles, like a top guy, and uh, and he's had like like he says in the movie, uh, the way they divide, he's had several careers. He said three lifetimes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like living three lives. He's got a bodybuilder, then movie star, then politician, yeah. And back now, back to uh, acting again. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. Like I mean, you what, said, Jerry, he's one of the greatest success stories ever uh, what a charmed life you know arnold uh i mean god bless him i i hope he lives for a long time but if he would to die tomorrow god god forbid i this this guy can say he lived a, a, a oh. what a full life yeah who could live a, i mean he's had everything go i mean he had a, all right he had a little domestic problem there you know but he has a you know children he's got four ch grown children he's got this nice kid joseph i mean uh, everything, money, house. He showed that Sun Valley house he's had for years. I mean, gee, what a life. I mean, how could a guy like that? Plus, he's now he's going out with this environmental stuff. He gives, you know, he's doing, he does whatever he wants. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I. how could you not be the happiest guy on earth with a life like that? Well, plus, uh, I remember the interview Jim Lorimer, and Jim Lorimer said, he goes, most of us will be forgotten. He goes, but Arnold will be remembered like 100 years from now. We'll still remember Arnold, you know. I'm sure. I'm sure he's right. I mean, uh, well, yes and no. I mean, you know, I actually wrote about that because, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit of a fan of of, the, of of some of the old movies, right? And I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of movie stars who are just major, major stars in the in the early silent films and the 1920s. Not Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. These were, but these guys were as big as, let's say. Uh, What's his name? George Clooney and and uh, and uh, what's that other guy? Brad Pitt. Uh, Brad Pitt. 
they were the equivalent of them back then. Everybody yeah. knew them. Everybody knew them. Anywhere you went, if Mary McClory, whatever they, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I love them. Nobody knows who they are. No, I know. And even hardcore movie fans don't know who these people are. Mm. So maybe Arnold could be the exception, but yeah, years, I'm not so sure. You know, yeah, I'm not so sure. Fame is, as they say, is very fleeting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about part one, which was the part about being a bodybuilder. I took a lot of notes here. Yeah. So, like I said at the beginning of our interview, the greatest thing to me about the whole thing was this unseen footage from Pumping Iron. Yeah, yeah. We know that Arnold bought all the footage. There's a hundred hours for people that don't know. There's a they shot a hundred hours of footage uh, when they made the movie, and then the movie is like 85 minutes. Right. So there's a lot of footage that we never saw, and Arnold bought it from George Butler. For whatever cop, for whatever fee he paid, so he's got it, and it's never been released. And I remember, like people are always telling me, sending me emails, like, "Man, how come Arnold won't release this footage? Why do they put it in a DVD? Everybody would buy it." Well, he waited. He waited until they did the documentary about his life, and then he released this footage. So there's some great, great stuff in there, wasn't there? Absolutely. But I, I don't know if this is true. Again, this is uh, hearsay. What I'm about to say, I heard that he bought that footage. Because there was some scenes that he considered embarrassing, especially I heard that too. That he was, uh, you know, he's already, I think, either a governor or running for governor. He felt that yeah. could him that's when he bought it around that time. Yeah, exactly. That something about, you know, maybe where he looked like a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. Like Hitler salutes. I think yeah. Artie Zeller told me this uh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. There was very embarrassing footage. So rather than sort through it, he just bought all the outtakes to make sure that they never got out in public. Yeah, Again, yeah, I don't know if that's true. I got it from Artie Zeller. No, I heard Rick Wayne told me that too. Okay, so it's probably true. Yeah. So Arnold had, uh, you know, then the story that, uh, you know, well, Arnold, you know, Arnold bought a lot of Artie's uh, 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 photo library to help out his widow. You know, when Ar when Artie died, Arnold bought Artie's entire, uh, you know, photo food, food, footage, photos mm -hmm. of him because, again, there was a couple of embarrassing photos of Arnold in there, and Arnold wanted to have control of them. That's yeah. the story I was told also. You know? yeah. So, it's so there's, there's this one scene where he's posing in front of uh, Denny Gable and uh, Ed Corney and Robbie. Remember yeah. that? Where he's posing? Yeah. And that was so cool. I mean, Ed Corney's back there, and he hits a three-quarter back, and he goes, very dramatic, Arnold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. right. No, I, I wish... I, I mean, Arnold, I wish they would... Arnold or somebody should like edit that footage. Yeah. Like, just the bodybuilding stuff. Yeah. I mean, if the stuff is embarrassing, you can edit it out. Oh, yeah. We just want to see the gym stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the scene I was talking about, this is again told to me secondhand. Arnold was imitating Hitler. He, like, you know, put on a fake yeah. and Hitler. You know, that was embarrassing to him. So, you know, you could edit that out. But guys like you and me and, and the bodybuilding fan would love to see that unused. This is Arnold, you know, yeah. when he was really. Plus, they must have had tons of footage of that '75 Olympia when they went over to South Africa. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be that would be a nice little. Uh, you know, Arnold could probably make money off that. Yeah, yeah. Be a nice. Uh, uh, I think a lot of uh, people would want to be would want to see that. Oh, every, yeah, all the body would. would you know, sure. So, I mean, what is it? What is he going to do? Keep it till, till he. Uh, I know. You know and then just nobody's ever going to see it. Get it right. Kind of sad, you know. But it's up to Arnold, I guess. They also had some cool footage of that Mr. World contest he won in 1970 in Columbus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what. That's the one where he supposedly flew from uh, 
right after winning the national. Yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't it was the story was that Lorimer arranged a plane for him or something? Yeah, yeah. To, to get him to, and he went literally right off the plane into the veterans auditorium. Yeah, so they left the because the, I guess the story was Lorimer called up Arnold and he said he wanted to go in that Mr. World contest. Right. And Arnold said, I would love to, but I can't. I'm going to be in London that weekend competing in the Mr. Universe. And so then Lorimer's like, well, we got to figure this out. How can we do this? So he said, well, how about if I push the contest back to Sunday? Yeah. It was an amateur and a, and a professional, Mr. World. Right. And they also held the World Weightlifting Championship with it, which was going to take place on Saturday. So right. Lorimer said, we'll do the pro men on Sunday. So he right. goes, if you can get to Heathrow Airport in the morning, and he goes, fly from London to New York. He goes, I'll have a private plane waiting for you in New York, and we'll take you to Columbus right away. Right. So it was Arnold and Franco and Draper and Boyer Co. all four of them flew. Did Co. compete in that show? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, he took second to Franco. Okay. Now, the thing is, uh, that's the supposedly the famous contest where Arnold was so impressed by what Lorimer did to get him over there and the way they the contest was organized. Yeah. That they decided to form a, a handshake partnership yeah. that lasted all the way to Lorimer's passing. And it yeah. was, they never had like a written contract, nothing. It was all handshake. Yeah. You know, and you know, of course, the Arnold, this is for the Arnold contest, uh, Arnold Invitational. And it grew and it grew and it grew where, you know, first they had the big, uh, what is it called? That, that uh, where they have all the booths, you know, before the, the show, Expo. 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 That started with nothing, became this huge thing. And then they expanded all over the world. That's the way it is now. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story that uh, you know that there was that much. That well, much you know, at that time, at that Mister World, Arnold had not even been Mister Olympia yet. He had not even won Mister Olympia because no, no. he won it like two weeks later, and and he beat Sergio at that contest. Right. And Lorimer had uh, Wide World of Sports there to cover. It was the first right. first that. big contest covered yeah. for television. That's right. Well, let me ask you. I don't remember. Was Dennis Tenorino in that contest? I vaguely remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. I, I couldn't remember. I, I, I wasn't sure whether he competed. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he was fourth behind uh, Draper, Sergio, and Arnold in the tall okay. class. Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Arnold told Lorber, he said, man, I'm so impressed with what you did with the plane, you know, hey. getting us here. And then the fact that it was on TV, and then I happened to beat Sergio. He said, when I retire from bodybuilding, I'm going to – Promote contests, and he goes. I want you to be my partner. That's so right. I guess um, when he went to compete in '75, he knew that was going to be his last year. Right. And that was the year they were filming Pumping Iron. So I guess they decided they had the Congress, the IFBB Congress that year, and they decided who was going to hold up the contest the next year. Right. So he told Jim Lorimer, he goes, "You have to put together a package." So I'll present it at this IFBB Congress. Okay. So Lorimer put together this whole package about we're going to have it at this hotel. And we're gonna or we're gonna have it at this auditorium, the Veterans Memorial Auditorium, and we're gonna have it at this hotel. We're gonna have the fire department involved and police departments on board, the mayors on board, and it was like way better than all the other packages, you know. And right. so they gave it to Lorimer. So it was because of Jim Lorimer that you know all the work he did that yeah. Arnold and uh, Lorimer were able to present it. And then they really changed bodybuilding that year because they had a whole new. I mean, bodybuilding shows were never that professional before oh. Arnold and Lorimer did it, you know. It's true. But I mean, now they got a whole sports festival. I mean, they yeah. got, oh, yeah. got Marshall, mixed Marshall, all this stuff, you know? Yeah. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Jim Lorimer's son kind of take over for uh, Jim Lorimer? Where now him and Arnold are partners, right? Is that right? 
No, Bob Lormer, his son was taking over it, but now Arnold's got a new partner. So the Lormers are oh, out. I didn't know that. Yeah. They've so been the, out the last couple of years. The Lormers are out. Yeah. Didn't yeah. know that. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, they also talked about uh, what I, another interesting part of that documentary was they had a lot of stuff about him growing up in Austria. And they had yeah, a lot of footage of Austria. That was really cool. That was interesting. And he yeah. talked a lot. He talked a lot about his mom and dad. Oh, you lot about his mom. But uh, another scene I like, now that you mentioned, I'm glad you reminded me. I like this scene of him with his old childhood friends. Yeah, yeah. Sitting, having, what was it, lunch or breakfast? I well, mean, they would go to that lake, the Lake Fallacy. Yeah, Lake Fallacy. Yeah, that's what he do chin ups. Like, yeah, no, it's true. He used to work out as a like 15 year old kid. Yeah. And they're all adults. Kind of yeah. reminds me of myself in a way because when I was 14, I trained at a gym in, uh, called Mid City Health Club in New York. I was 14. I was the only kid in the gym. Mm -hmm. Everybody there was an adult, minimal age of like 25 and over. I wow. was the only kid there. Reminds you of that. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not comparing myself to Arnold, but I'm saying we had the yeah. same situation. But you know, I got. I, I I mean, I I looked at you know, I was watching Arnold's face as he was sitting with his old friends, his old cronies there, and you could see the joy he had. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he he never forgot his old. He, he was really happy. Yeah. With his old friends and. And this is kind of the way I feel Arnold feels about his bodybuilding friends from years ago. Yeah. When Arnold sees me today, which is very rare, he immediately gets a big smile on his face. He seems genuinely happy to see me. Yeah. And I he treats all the other guys from the old days, the few that are remaining that are still alive. Yeah. He doesn't, I mean, you can see he's not fake. He really likes, I guess maybe it's a, because we were, it's a reminder of his youth. Yeah. He yeah. was a young guy at the top, you know. He's very, he's just really comfortable and happy around the guys that he knew from years ago. That's something. Yeah, that absolutely. Yeah. You know. And then they even interviewed, I think it was Carl Gerstel, and his dad yeah. was a big influence on Arnold. The, That's the right. Doctor, yeah. That Dr. Gerstel, who was also into politics. Yeah. He told Arnold, you got to develop your mind. And he's, and, he, and Arnold talked a lot about him in the documentary about how he was so different than his dad, you know. Right. He would have conversations with Arnold and he would, you know, he'd go over to dinner and they said it was totally different. You know, they would have conversation at the table where he said at Arnold's house, they didn't even talk at the dinner table, you know. Yeah, we see oh. that, that. That's another essential point about this documentary that Arnold emphasizes throughout the documentary, but especially at the end when he makes that statement, he says, he says, it's ridiculous to look at me. People always talk about my success. He says, the truth is, I was helped by many people. Yeah. Nobody makes it on their own. It's a myth. I was, yeah. and this is an absolute truth about Arnold. I witnessed it. I saw how people, when he was a young guy, I knew there was a guy who taught him about real estate, told him to buy the apartment building, which he mentioned. Another guy, he says it's Joe Weider, but it was another guy who told him about purchasing art. Yeah. And and uh, then, then you have this guy, Gerstle, like you say, uh, who taught him about politics and made and taught him uh, and developing your mind? Yeah, and, yeah, an intellectual side of life away yeah. from the physical. See, the thing about Arnold uh, again, one of the reasons for his success was not only that he was uh, driven and very goal oriented, but he would he would always have good people around him, and he'd take from people that he respected. He would learn from them and apply it to his own life. That exactly. is a very unusual individual. Yes, you know, yes. He, he always, had, you know, he, all his life, 
he, he you know, he would just listen. He, he was, you know, yeah. Arnold was never stupid. You know, right. if he felt that you had something to contribute to him, he would listen to you and mm -hmm. try to apply it to himself. Yes. And that's yes. shown in the, yes. in the documentary. That's one of the key. That is probably the key. The key to his success. Yeah. Arnold's success. Yeah. I mean, he used all these various people to, to, to apply to himself and use it as stepping stones to get to meet his goals. And he was that, smart enough to be open enough to want to learn from these people. Exactly right. He, he never that he never showed any arrogance in that respect. Right. He never say, well, who the fuck is this? Because if you didn't know about, if you didn't know Arnold, you could have just said, well, he was just genetically given to be a bodybuilder, and that's why he became a great bodybuilder. No. But it was way, way more than that. Way more than that. Yeah. Arnold. I, I mean, Arnold. Again, if he respected the information you had, he was a very apt listener to you he listened to you very closely and again try to apply to himself and he didn't give a shit what you look whether you're a bodybuilder if you were a big fat guy and you and you knew about real estate he'd sit there for hours he doesn't get yeah. crap less about that yeah. he wanted to learn and and he was open to learning that's that's a key that is yeah. a key to success for anyone i don't care whether arnold or anybody else if you want to really make it, you got to be open to learning and not have a closed mind. Yeah. Don't rule out things. You really have to. That's like, what made Arnold Schwarzenegger. Look at Sergio Oliva, who had even better genetics than Arnold and didn't achieve, you know, one example. success. Perfect example. Just the antithesis of Arnold. Yeah. Sergio was a stubborn guy who didn't yes. want to listen to people. Stubborn and proud, but and, and, and as a bodybuilder, I think you'll agree, and most people who are objective will agree. Sergio was about as great a bodybuilder as Arnold. He was, in some ways, better, better than Arnold. Better genetically, yeah. Better gen gen Sergio, in my opinion, was probably the most genetically gifted bodybuilder of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, a lot of people say, well, he got bad breaks because he's a black guy and this and that. No, that's, that may be a, a small part of it, but I believe Sergio, I know the man, I, I know how he acted. He was just the opposite. He was very close. Very stubborn, and he he immediately ruled people out. Fuck this guy, and this that. Yeah. You know that's why he. You know, all right. Sergio was a Chicago cop. I'm not putting him down. He did the best he could, but I. Th my point is, Sergio could have gone a lot further. Oh, a lot further. Don't you think if he had been a little bit more open to people, yeah, maybe change his personality a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. they're yeah. telling me to go fuck myself when I was 14. I yeah. mean, that's, all right, you know. That, that's neither had another. The point is, he would have gone a lot further if he had just kind of done, acted, a, had a more of Arnold's mindset. Could have gone a lot further, been a lot more successful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even his son, Sergio Oliva Jr., who I know pretty well, we had to talk about that. He told me the same thing. He admitted it was just my father was used to turn a lot of people off. Oh, he yeah. Close minded, he says. Yeah. You know, so. And then, um, it was cool how he talked about joining that weightlifting club when he was a teenager. Yeah, you said great, they had some great pictures of him competing. Oh yeah, when he was like sixteen years old, seventeen yeah, years old. I never saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see him in the and with the other lifters wearing the lifting. Yeah, outfit. remember those contests they used to have, and he he said they would have a band behind yeah, him, yeah, yeah. all these girls that come in, you know, and it was I, in a I, beer ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I liked it. There was one photo of Arnold. It must have been about seventeen. Yeah, was side shot with the bicep. Yeah, and he had these girls like looking at, at, right, at right. Arnold is is just uh, so focused. You know, uh, I'm not going to look at the girls. I'm just looking at the camera. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, the later Arnold, you see him in pumping iron when he's standing when the female photographer walks by. 
He goes like yeah, this. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it shows you how he, his personality changed over the years. And then, yeah. then the part before that, too, when he talked about seeing the uh, Reg Park movie. And oh, then yeah. He, yeah. Then he saw the magazine of Reg Park and he read about it. And then he would hang up the pictures, the other pictures on the wall. And they, right. he went to his bedroom, his childhood bedroom and his childhood house. And he, he laid in the, the bed and he said, yeah, I had the pictures right here. You know, just like that. Yeah, that's true. But the thing, the thing is, that's another example of how Arnold took things from somebody else. Yeah. Applied, as he says in the movie, and this is gospel, because one of my good friends is John Park, Reg's son, you know, who, who is in the movie. He's interviewed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, as he pointed out, Arnold, uh, you know, Reg Park was his mentor, his idol, and Arnold stayed in South Africa. Reg Park got to know John and his sister and, yeah. and, uh, and John's mother. And, of course, Reg, well, you know, hung, they all hung out. And Arnold, as he explains in the movie, you know, was so impressed by the family closeness yeah. of Richard Park and his wife and children that he vowed. And, you know, he wasn't married then. He had no, you know, nothing like that. He was still a young man, you know, what, 21, 22 years old. He said, "I'm that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to have a life just like Rich. I'm going to have a yeah. wife and a family and kids. And I knew Rich Park. In the last couple of years of his life, I got to know him very well. And let me tell you something about Reg. Reg was, oh, he used to piss me off when he said this. He'd say, Jerry, he says, family is everything. It's more important than anything. He'd always say that. And, I, you know, I, I loved Reg. He was a great guy. You know, he was like a second father. He was so nice to me. Yeah. I always felt bad when he said that because. I don't have a family. I'm not right. I have no kids. He's making me feel bad. He's right, right. everything. And I have not what is he saying? I have nothing. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't mean to say that, but I only say that to emphasize how big Reg was on the whole family situation. And yeah. it stuck in Arnold's mind. So that was again one of Arnold's goals. You know, yeah. this uh I, I ideal family situation with the white uh, you know, the plus it didn't really work out that way, but that's yeah. <laughs> it was also interesting when he came to America and he was dating Barbara Outland, and that was his first oh, girlfriend here. Yeah. And, yeah. And then he went and visited her family on Christmas. Yeah. And he said they would have like a birthday party for him. And he goes, I never had a birthday cake before. He was 21 yeah. years old and he never had a birthday. He never yeah. celebrated his birthday in, in Austria ever. Well, in that situation, it's a it's a type of a reverse psychology, if you want to call it. Maybe psychology, not the word. Because Arnold, as he said, I don't think he well, maybe he mentioned it in the in the documentary. He used his father's aggression and basically meanness towards him to turn into a impetus for success. Yeah. In, words, in the back of his mind, he, he his his early goal, this is this is when he was still coming up, was I'm gonna my father thinks that I'm shit, and my brother Meinhard is the is the good son. Yeah. He thinks I'm a loser. In fact, he doesn't even think I'm his son. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to work my ass off to prove to him that I am a superior person. I don't care what it takes. Mm -hmm. so it's the, 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 the meaner his father was to him, the more driven Arnold was yeah, yeah. to prove that he was above that. So right. he used his father's actual, no other word for it, child abuse to, yeah. to drive his success. Right, now, right. You know what? Let me tell you, John, it takes a very strong personality to do that. Yeah. Because a lot of people would be broken by having a parent like that. Well, he, he actually implied in the documentary that his brother was more emotional and wasn't as strong, and that's what broke him. 
exactly right. Yeah. Arnold, got, you know, kind of hard. You know, he used the father's meanness to harden himself up. To, and he talks about, you know, how he, you know, the the, the fake story about him not attending his father. That was, of yeah. course, made up for uh, pumping iron. That that didn't really happen. But you know, the point is, Arnold used the negativity from his father to drive himself to success. In fact, I remember Arnold telling me a story. I just remembered now. When I first met him, he told me a lot of stories about growing up there, told me about his father. He said, my father was a mean bastard, he said to me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, he says, I said, he says, when we used to eat dinner, he says, me and my brother, you know, we if either, he had a, a stick or a piece of wood or something, he says, if either of us put our elbows on the table, the father would take the stick and whack our elbows. So I said, Arnold, well, did he just like hit you? He said he hit us full force. He said I'd have big red marks on my elbows. Uh, said, I said, what up, Arnold? Your father was a mean bastard. He says he was, but you know what? He says I used it to my advantage. He told me, yeah, he told himself. So yeah. again, an example of Arnold taking something that normally would break somebody else and actually using it to propel himself forward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's a strong personality, you know. Yeah. When you have a father that abusive, you know, and his mother was nice to him, but you know she was kind of like, you know, was his father was very dominant. The mother couldn't do much. Yeah. One of those situations. And then he talked about competing in that uh, best built man in Europe, uh, where he where he left he left the military. He went off the yeah, base yeah, during basic training, and he took the train to Stuttgart. And he met uh, he met Franco and he met Albert Busek on the same night. So two right. significant people in his life. Right, right. That's true. I knew about Arnold's brother because he told me. Mm-hmm. In fact, Arnold, I remember Arnold telling me when his brother died, believe it or not, oh, way back in the 70s. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He told me that his brother, uh, uh, well, he uh, the story I was told was that his brother was speeding, just like Arnold says in the movie. But I, I heard that he, he was on one of those mountain roads. I was going too fast, didn't make the turn, and went right off the cliff. Oh, shit, yeah. You know, so I, was, but he Arnold, drinking, was he drinking, too? Yeah, he was drunk. He was drunk. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Arnold changed his story to where it's an automobile accident because he was drunk driving. But I never really saw a clear picture of his brother because Arnold would say that his brother was a good-looking guy, but they showed his uh, brother. The first time I've actually seen his brother was a very handsome guy. Yeah. He was better looking than Arnold. Yeah, I think he was taller. He was better looking. He yeah, was, he was yeah, a, better, more muscular. And yeah. yeah, but but you know, people don't know this. I, you know, I, I'm surprised Arnold didn't mention this in the documentary, because again, it, it probably would have made Arnold look good. Arnold's brother, uh, uh, Minard, he did have a son named Patrick. Yeah. Patrick right. Yeah. And what Arnold did is Arnold years, many years ago, he he brought his nephew Patrick. To the United States, and uh, I think he was already maybe eighteen or something like that. You know, he's mm-hmm. he bought the, he bought this kid a house. He paid for his entire college education, helped him every step of the way. Today, Patrick, his nephew, is an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. So Arnold helped him a lot. His, his yeah. He yeah. didn't mention that in the. Uh, no, he didn't mention that. Right. They did get a couple things wrong. I noticed uh, he was talking about the first time he went in the Olympia in '69 against Sergio, and they showed a picture of the '72 Olympia. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, I caught that also. And then he was talking about when he competed in the '68 Navi Universe, which was the second win, and they showed footage from the '69. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A history buff like you or me would find would figure I that it. Out. I caught it. Yeah, I caught that right <laughs> away. Yeah. Right. 
that right away. Uh, let's see what else was good. Well, the funny thing was they supposedly had a couple of consultants that supposedly yeah. knew about body. I'm surprised they didn't catch that. Well, when I was talking to the producer, because I talked to him several times, he kept yeah. calling me up. And uh, he was asking me questions about Arnold and these contests, and I was telling him he didn't know anything about it. So yeah. then he said, would you want to be in the documentary? I said, yeah, I'd love to be in the documentary. And he goes, well, sometimes we have a bunch of people talking about the history. He goes, maybe we'll just have one guy like you talk about the history. But then they didn't use that at all. Like, it was mostly narrated by Arnold, you know? Right. So they never they never tried to uh, film you at all? Nothing? No. No. Okay. Yeah. In fact, most of the people that I gave them information on, like I said, Charles Gaines, Boyer, they were very... They're very small parts, you know. Even Zane, yeah. Zane was hardly in it either. You're right. Very brief. Yeah. yeah. And I thought yeah. they were going to interview Roy Callender because Roy spent the night with Arnold the first night he was in America. Right. Like Roy, Roy likes to joke around and say, I slept with Arnold the first night he was in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but Roy told me this funny story about this is after he lost to Zane. And he said Arnold was so upset. And I, oh, said, I heard stories that Arnold was crying. And he goes, no, no, he wasn't crying. He goes, I, he goes, I never seen Arnold cry. But he goes, he was pissed. He goes, these fucking judges, these fucking judges. <laughs> oh, it's true. Yeah. Because I met him a week later, like I said, he was still furious. Yeah. And I, I told you the story. I mean, he tried to show me he was fixed with a medallion yeah. that they made him with, with Frank Zane's picture in the program. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, from my perspective, you know, being objective, I, I was actually convinced. I said, gee, Arnold, it does look bad. It does look Why would they suspicious. put a competitor yeah. of yours on the program and you make make you wear a medallion with a comp other competitor's yeah. image? That doesn't sound right. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I mean, Roy said that when they were there that night, he was he was grumbling, you know, in the bed. He was just grumbling. They had the lights off. And I guess they had to do a photo shoot the next day with Weeder. So Roy's like, Hey, Arnold, you know, he goes, you just weren't at your best. He goes, you would have won that contest if you were at your best. He goes, just let it go, man. Just let it go. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Arnold said, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, I'm going to be big in America. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was right. Another prediction. He was right, yeah. Um, another prediction. Did I, I told you this story about how uh, Arnold called me that one time. Did I, you know, I told you that story, right? Uh, I, I was sitting here one day and my phone rings. And I hear a voice, and it says, "Hello, Jerry. This is Arnold." And I think, and I, 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 I thought somebody was putting you on. Thought somebody was putting me on because you know yeah. so many Arnold imitators around. I said, "Hey, you know what, buddy? You do a great Arnold imitation." <laughs> I said, I'm, "I'm almost kidding." I said, "Who is this, really?" He said, "No, no, this is Arnold." I said, "Come on, man. You know, just you know, I, I like the joke. Tell me who you are." Yeah. He said, "No, Jerry." So I said, "Okay, I'm going to ask you a question." Only Arnold himself can answer it. If you answer it, I know that you're really Arnold. He says, okay, go ahead and ask. I said, Arnold used to add a certain ingredient to his protein drinks. What was it? He says, oh, you mean the schnapps? I said, <laughs> okay, it's you, Arnold. You know, he had a little bit of liquor because he thought it would, uh, right. you know. But it, and then I said to him, Arnold, I got to ask you one question. Actually, he called me up because he was given a speech and he wanted to know when protein supplements were first used. That's what he wanted to ask me. Oh, okay. I got my number from John Balick from Iron Man. See? But anyway, I, I said, I got to ask you. This relates to what you're saying. I said, I got to ask you one question. And I, you, know, you told me when I first met you, you complained about Zane beating you. You thought you were a clear winner there in Miami there in 68. I said, after all these years, how do you feel now? He says, I was wrong. He says, Frank was a clear winner. 
He says, I was not in my best shape. I was smooth. I was holding water. Frank was a deserving winner. Yeah. And I said, Arnold, you're a, you're, a, you're a big man to say that. I got to give you credit. He says, it's just the truth. Well, I, did you did you catch that part, too, where it talked about learning from other people? He said after he lost to Zane, he moved to America. He moved to California. Yeah. And Zane was living in Florida. And he convinced Zane to come that's right. to move to California because he wanted to learn from him. He wanted right. to learn, how did you get that muscle quality? How did you beat me? Right. So he became, and he, I guess he was staying with Arnold. He lived with Arnold for a while. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I remember reading where Frank taught Arnold archery. You yeah. Know, had, Frank's hobby was archery. Yeah. And uh, also, he helped uh, Arnold with math because Frank yes. was a math teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but the thing about and it, Barbara it, helped him with writing. With, that's uh, right. Know. Right. Yeah. But see, the thing about uh, this is another example of Arnold learning from the best, so to speak, because Frank had a very finished physique. Frank yeah. was small, but he was cut and hard and tan. Right. And right. Kind of analyzed his loss and said, all right, I, I, he's, he's a lot smaller than me, but he's harder. He's got finished physique. He's got the tan. I'm basically yeah. white, bulky. He says, I'm going to watch this guy and learn from him and apply it to myself because I, I think this is the winning formula. Yeah. If, I get, uh, if I get as cut as Zane and retain, retain most of my size and get a tan, I should be able to beat everyone. That was his thinking. Yeah. And, he, and sure enough, that's what he did. Exactly yeah. what he did. He learned from the people who beat him. Yeah. 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 That's what he did. That's yeah. a smart guy. I know. I know. A smart guy. See, this is a Sergio wouldn't do that, Sergio Lima. No. Sergio, he, would, he, Sergio would say he got ripped off. Yeah, he just said I got ripped off. Uh, Joe Weida, I lost because Joe Weida doesn't like me, or right. I lost because I'm black, blah, blah, blah. He'd come up with, you know, he wouldn't think like Arnold. Did you see the footage where he was in uh, Joe's uh, office and he said, you know, he was learning a lot of business from Joe. And he said, Joe, he goes, I told Joe, he goes, I got, I want to learn this stuff because I, if I take over the business after you pass away. And Joe loved that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you see that one clip? I thought it was interesting. Joe's showing uh, these slides on a on a screen. Right, yeah. And he goes, I think I'm going to put this guy on the cover. And Arnold goes, no, Joe, no, you told me you're only going to put Mr. Olympias and Mr. Universes on the cover. You can't put him on the cover. And right. Joe starts walking away. He goes, no, it'll be all right. And he goes, Joe, Joe. I, saw, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering if that was like Mensa or something. You yeah. know, <laughs> you know, you know I, I got a kick at that scene because when I used to go up to the Weeder office, Joe would do the same thing to me. He would take me in this photo area. And he had that same thing where you could see that, you know, the, the photos, yeah. you know, and he'd ask me my opinion about different covers. He did the same thing with me. Yeah. He says, which photo should I use on the next issue? What do you think? Well, which yeah. one? So I, I would say, and I'd look at it, you know, you had this little thing you could see. I'd say, gee, this photo here, this one, he looks really good. And Joe would say, I'm going to go with the other one. He always did that. <laughs> I said, Joe, why do you even ask me? Why do you even <laughs> if, you ask already, <laughs> if you already made up your mind, why you even bother asking me? <laughs> <Right. laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Hey, speaking, I, I, speaking of that, I just want to, as a side note, I was looking at uh, some of these old, uh, I, I still keep in touch with Rick Wayne after I did the interview with him last yeah, year. Yeah. And Rick said he wants to uh, maybe get back in a little bit of writing, you know, about bodybuilding. So he doesn't have all those old magazines and he knows I, I've got them all. So he goes, well, if you ever come across uh, some of those articles I wrote, he goes, send them to me. Okay. And I said, all right, I'll just take pictures over my phone and I'll send them to you. Sure. So I know he wrote the article about the 81 Olympia. Right. I said, well, let me just take the pictures of it real quick. And oh my God, this thing was four parts, Jerry. Four issues. It was four four parts. Four parts. Part one, part two, part three, part four. 
Of the Mr. 1981 Mr. Olympia. Did you say it was like 47 pages? It was 47 pages, yeah. And all of them were written by Rich, Rick Wayne? Yeah. Holy, that's got to be the biggest contest report ever. I know. I think so. You're right. So, wow. wow. And then, I, I don't know if you saw my Facebook post. I said, now let's compare that to today. Yeah, I saw that post. Yeah. I did a Google search to 2022 Mr. Olympia. I wanted to see what articles were online because there's no more magazines. Yeah. It was like four paragraphs. Yeah, I know. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> hey, but if you want to really go further... Like I said, like we've talked about in the past, I mean, years ago, John, in the 70s or in earlier, the big contest uh, besides the Olympia was the NABBA universe. Right. You know, they had all the magazines, The you know, they had the professional, you know, guys like Bill Pearl and Arnold, yeah, Zip, yeah. Chris Dickinson, Borico, everybody. Yeah, you want to go way back, Steve Rees, Reg Park, John Griffith, yeah. they all won that title. Yeah. And Whoever won the NABBA universe, both the amateur and the pro division, they get in all the magazines. Yeah. All the mag you'd you'd know if you read the magazines. Everybody it was in like three or four different magazines. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone who trained or, or read the mag knew if you said, Hey John, who just won the me? And you'd say, Well, this guy here, you know, you knew who the current uh NABBA universe. Then it just it died out. And I think I even asked you last time we spoke. I don't even know if there's a NABBA universe. I don't think so. Don't there's no that. publicity at all. Yeah. Nothing. It just died. Well, when died. I saw I saw this the in depth article that Rick wrote, it's like God, man, the magazines yeah. were so good. I, I understand now people want the news faster, and you know we had to wait months to get the report. Sure. But man, talk about in depth coverage. You would know everything that went on. It was so great yeah. to read those. You know. I personally, I, I don't know, call me old-fashioned, but I'd rather read that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You see on social media. But the, what I was thinking was the history of the sport. I mean, if you look back now, let's say 15 years from now, and you yeah. said, well, what happened at the 19, at the 2023 Mr. Olympia? Let me look back. Is there any – there's no stories. There's nothing. nothing. You won't – you, you can find the list of who won, right. you know, top 10, but you're never going to find the story. There won't no be no story. No, there's no background. So all the history of today is going to die because it's not being recorded. I know. That's why, like I told you, when I worked for Weeder, when I used to go to the big contest, I, I came up with this idea. You know, the way contest re reports, maybe with the exception of Rick, because he would put more personality into it. But yeah. most contest reports back then, guys would just basically, uh, well, uh, Mike Christian uh, has big shoulders and, uh, he had great legs and was in muscular. I mean, then they have like 10 pictures of Mike Christian. Yeah. The guy is just basically saying what's in the picture. Right. So I said, say, well, who wants to read this shit? Yeah. You know? Tell me, tell then, me the backstage story. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, then I found out, this is what really convinced me. I found out that the contest reports were the least popular articles in the body. Did you know this? They no. Were the, nobody wanted to read them because they just weren't interesting. All they did is describe the guy's physique. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't tell you anything about the guy. So I said to myself, now, what do people really want to read? How about if I interview each, all, all the winners, all the top six in every class, and rather than describe their physique, which the pictures will do, I'm going to ask him stuff like, what did you do differently for this contest? How did you change your training? I'm going to turn it into a training article. So mm. I went, Adam, I was the only one who ever did that. I yeah. used to backstage and interview all the guys. When I went, you know, whether it's the amateur, uh, what was it, the uh, NPC, and I went with the IFBB Pro Show, I went back. So that's why everybody knew me. See, back then, 
I didn't just sit in the freaking pot press box like everybody else. I went backstage and interviewed each guy yeah. personally to try and find out. I wanted to make it where a reader would say, okay, oh, I see. Oh, this is what he did for the show. That's why he looked bad. I wanted to make it something where people would want to read. I thought of the reader rather than anything else. And that's why all the guys back then, the amateurs and pros, they all knew me because they met me. I spoke to them. Yeah, right? yeah. I tell people today, none of the bodybuilders know me because all the guys I know, they're all retired. They're all out yeah, of yeah. I said, but there was a time when everybody able to know because I personally interviewed all of them. Today, these guys don't know me from Adam. Well, what Rick did was, I was when I was reading through this article, in part one, I guess what he would do is he would talk to these guys throughout the year. Like, he talked to Danny Padilla back in January, February, and find out, you know, or he'd find out, like, what he did the whole year. And yeah. then part one, he would say, this is what led up to the Olympia. This is what Danny did all year. This is what Tom Platt did all year, you know. And and then that was part one, and then part two was the actual contest, you know. So oh, you well, got to know these guys, you know. So that that's again, that's a good way to do it because it makes it more interesting. Oh, much more interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I I don't know. I haven't looked at a. I don't know it, I, what a bodybuilding magazine still. No, they're all, they're all gone. They're all they're all what all digital or gone or what? I don't even I know. The only one left maybe is uh, maybe muscular development. Black yeah. Yeah. I would bet without even looking that their contest reports are garbage. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, they, they, nobody's going to put in the effort like uh, like Rick did or like I did. With well, they never make the money back because they would have to buy. You know, they'd have to pay for photographers and writers and that's and it. Yeah, the editors and how they're going to make it back? Nobody's going to buy magazines. You know, you're right, you're right. And you know, you get what you pay for. I mean, you know, if you don't want to yeah. pay the people, you're not going to get much. That's the there's way. No, there's no quality at all. Anyway. No quality at all. Right. In fact, the last couple of times I did see. Uh, you know, Muscle and Fitness, when it was still a print publication, I looked at it on the newsstand and I, I just threw it right back. It was horrible. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Horrible. God, well, boy, did it go down the tubes. Yeah. I'll I tell you, I got boxes and boxes or containers, containers of magazines. I'm never going to get rid of them. They're, they're gold to me. I'm, you know, I don't care. I'm never getting rid of them. Well, when I got oh, here in the corner, I got like two big crates yeah. that have all of my articles. In other words, okay. Yeah. But I had the whole issue. I I didn't just cut yeah, out yeah. My articles. Yeah, yeah. I kept the whole issue. So you know, yeah. This is the only copies I have, and I don't know where, where, if you can get them anymore. So I kept them. You know, yeah. I have them all here. You know. I just want to say that you know this was definitely deserving of Arnold. The guy is an icon, and I know without Arnold there would be no body. But Arnold did way more than anyone will ever do in the history of this world for bodybuilding. And one part I thought that was really great with the documentary was they showed this clip of all these talk shows he was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way he was promoting bodybuilding. I never saw a lot of those. Those were great. You yeah, know, oh, yeah. like he was going on this show and that show, and he's posing with uh, – who was that guy from MASH? Uh, McLean Stevenson, I think. He was posing with him. It looked like it was yeah, on yeah, a that's, night that's show. Right. You know, that's yeah. Right, that's right. Yeah. That was great stuff. But Yeah, I mean, I mean, the only other guy I could think of in bodybuilding history that promoted that – well, got let's say got people to work out because of his physique that is comparable to Arnold, there's only one other person I could think of, and it goes way back. I'm talking about Eugene Sandow. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. He's called the father of bodybuilding, and he, in his day, was as big, actually as big an icon. Remember, they didn't have all the TV and all that stuff. Yeah. And he was internationally known. He was revered. I mean, yeah. I mean uh, you know, he got people to work out. He sold courses. 
he yeah. was even selling his own protein supplement. Yeah. So yeah. he was he was you could say the architect that Arnold kind of duplicated for a later generations. Yeah. But other than Eugene Sandow, I agree with you. Nobody popularized uh, bodybuilding, and I don't know if anyone ever will. No. Uh, that no what do you think, John? I don't see anyone who has Arnold's combination of personality and physique. Plus, and plus, at that time, nobody knew anything about bodybuilding. You know, they didn't no. know anything about working out or lifting or muscles or anything. They thought it was just a weird oddball sport. And right. then here comes Arnold on these talk shows, and they thought bodybuilders were stupid and they didn't know how That's to right. speak. And Arnold's articulate and he's funny and he's laughing at himself and he's making jokes and everybody like, wow, who is this guy? You know, this guy's great. If this is what bodybuilding is all about, I want to be a bodybuilder. You know what I mean? That's exactly right. Arnold's personality helped a lot. Yeah. Like, like I say, no offense to some of the other guys. I've seen them on talk shows back then, Frank and, and Dave Draper. They just didn't. I mean, they were great no guys. One, I don't think no one could have done it then, and I don't think no one could have done it now. Yeah. And I just honestly, I, I don't, I mean, I can't see, foresee the future, but I don't see the, anybody on the horizon like like an Arnold no. in bodybuilding that would uh, have that great an appeal. And plus, you're going to have the steroid issue now. And I yeah. think that's just going to, that, that's going to kill it right off the bat, right? Right. True. I mean, the guys today come and go, you know, yeah. the, you know, they'll be great. Oh, you know, big Ramey. Wow. Uh, then, you know, he wins the Olympia twice, he loses. He's already faded out. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like the only, nobody, the only one I think that could possibly do it would be that Chris Bumstead. Chris Bumstead, yeah. But the thing about Chris Bumstead, I met him. He's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't have Arnold's charisma. No, no, he doesn't. He's kind I've of. Seen, I've seen him in his video. Lack of a better word, he's kind of boring. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I met. Like I say, he's a nice guy. Super nothing, nice guy. Great guy. I, I think he has a fantastic physique. I really do. Great yeah. physique. And he has an appealing physique. He's not overly big. You know what I mean? He's very in the, in the social media world, he's a sensation. He's, oh, he's, he's got more followers than anybody. I could see that. Yeah. But again, he doesn't have the charisma and personality that Arnold, so his degree of success is limited. Yeah. In other words, he'll never follow Arnold's footsteps. He can never like go into movies or politics. He just doesn't have what Arnold has. No. No, but I agree. He, he of all the guys today, he has the, you know much greater appeal than the others. The others are very very small. Uh, group. But but I think his appeal again is more like social media. More of a a lot of young guys are going to want to look like him, and that's why he yeah. has such a huge following. Yeah, right, right, yeah. But I mean, uh, I don't know. We'll see how long the guy can last. You know, as yeah. you say, the bodybuilding has become a very limited sport time wise yeah. because of the drug usage. And these crazy ideas about staying on steroids all year round. Yeah. This, this yeah. didn't happen years ago, John. No. Guys, guys would cycle off the steroids. Yeah. Our, Zane, all those guys, nobody stayed on steroids year round back then. That's why these guys are alive today. Yeah. These guys that are they had that They had that footage of the Whitney yeah. Museum when they were posing. And I know those guys were all clean, right? Arnold yeah. and Corny, they were all clean. But I'm surprised. At the, at the Whitney that, Museum? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could see. I mean, look yeah. at Arnold. I mean, he, he, there was no back definition. I mean, no. I mean, he, he, he still like, he still looked good. Like, he still looked good, but nothing. He did that three quarter back, and they yeah, they yeah. On the platform where they turned him around. He yeah, still no, he good. still he still looked good. Zane looked very smooth compared to the normal. Oh, smooth thing, and you know? small, yeah. You know, but I mean, it shows you what the guys look like. You know, they obviously were not on drugs, as you probably right, have. right. 
But you see, that more or less allowed them to attain a level of longevity. Yeah. Whereas guys today, I, I don't know what's going to happen. These guys are taking on this crap. I have a whole pile of recent studies here next to me about recent study came out about steroid effects, various these It's really screw, uh, pulmonary embolisms and yeah. liver problems, all this kind of crap. I mean, I don't know what to look. I hope I'm wrong, but it's, no, you're not, probably it's not. not like the old days. I mean, these guys are not going to have long careers. And, and how many how many bodybuilders today would do a posing exhibition at the Whitney Museum and be clean? <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, they, they wouldn't be clean to go to the gym. Oh, no way. They, would, they Like I say, they won't even get off the drugs. They won't get off because they got to constantly be on social media and they got to constantly look good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're so afraid of getting smooth and small. The bodybuilders curse, smooth and small. Yeah. You know? I but mean, I mean, back in the day, there was no social media, so you could look like shit six months of the year, exactly. and nobody would see you, you know, that's unless right. they unless they ran into you at the gym. But nobody would see that's, you. That's exactly right. It's a difference. Unfortunately, it's not good for the bodybuilders. No, it's not good for their health. Their health at, at serious risk. You yeah. know, I'm not trying to be uh, overly dramatic. It's just a fact. Yeah, I agree. I I definitely believe you, Derek. You know, I mean, sure. uh, I I uh, you know, I mean, maybe if Chris Bumstead. Maybe if people feel they can get a more muscular, not overly huge physique, maybe the guys will, you know, not try and emulate some of these ridiculous steroid programs that are being pushed online. But then I see these videos about how great Trembolone is and you should get on Trembolone. John, Trembolone is the most single most dangerous anabolic steroid I know of. Yeah. I'm going to do an article about it. It's so freaking dangerous. People have no idea what this shit does. And it's not made by any legitimate pharmaceutical. It's it's a, it's just an underground steroid. It's super dangerous to your health. And they're pushing it like crazy on YouTube. So yeah. I don't have a good feeling, let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jared. Well, thank you for joining me on the show again. I, sure. I wanted to talk about this documentary, and I thought you'd be the perfect guy to do yeah. it. And, uh, we talked for a long time, but uh, it was there's a lot to talk about in this documentary. It's, it's on Netflix right now, so if you guys haven't seen it, Check it out, Arnold, the documentary. And uh, it was very, very well done. And there was some really great stuff in there if you're a bodybuilder yeah. or you're an Arnold fan. Yeah. So uh, thanks again, Jerry, for joining me on the show. It's always good to talk to you. Well, just I'll just add, like I said earlier, the, the documentary, in my opinion, is so good that and it's so well done that even if you don't know Arnold as a bodybuilder, you'll still find it interesting because oh, of, yeah. of Arnold himself. And and what they show it's it, it's interesting. It, it would be interesting to anyone. Yeah, that's, that's what really makes it outstanding. It's not just some niche bodybuilder. Only bodybuilders would want to see. Well, it's an amazing story. He's an amazing person. Oh Despite yeah, all his faults. I mean, I mean, we all none of us are perfect, and he's had his mistakes too, just like everybody right. has. But the life he's lived is unbelievable, and they, everybody says, "Well, who's going to be the next Arnold?" And there's never going to be another Arnold. There's no, only I, Arnold. I agree. Yeah. I agree. They, they, I don't see anyone ever emulating what he did because. I mean, look how many bodybuilders have tried to go into movies like he did, and they didn't. Nothing, no, zero. No. They don't even make one movie, you know. No, no. and he was the number one. He was the number one box office star in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the closest you could say to Arnold are guys that weren't competitive bodybuilders like Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, The Rock. Yeah, he's a big muscular guy. He's not a champion bodybuilder. He has some of the charisma that Arnold has, but he still doesn't emulate Arnold completely. He well, he hasn't made uh, iconic movies like The Terminator no. or, or no, Predator. I mean, no, when, you're right. When, when his career is over with, you're not going to be able to say, oh, remember that movie? I mean, there was no 
he's making movies and he's making yeah. tons of money, but yeah, he, he's not making iconic movies. He won't be remembered for any great movies. No, not, no, not only yeah. And the thing about about his movies is that you know there's there's uh, nothing that really, as you said, there's nothing that stands out about the guy uh, the movies. I mean, there's no there's no character. No. Uh, that he, whereas Arnold, look at all the character, the, the Terminator, you know, uh, Conan. He has identifications. This yeah. guy, The Rock. Where's his identification movie? It, his identification is The Rock. That's it. Yeah. Right. I, I get the feeling that I don't know Dwayne. I've seen him in the gym a couple of times, but I get the feeling he's up there now. He's like in late forties. I think this is a guy. Who wants to, yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. I think he. I want. I get the feeling this is a guy who wants to do as much work as possible before yeah. his career ends because he he knows it's inevitable. Yeah. He's going to eventually be pushed aside by younger guys. So he wants it. So he does TV show. Every movie that comes along, <laughs> right. he takes. Right. And that's the impression. He knows. He knows yeah. his time is limited. He's yeah, he's got his own. He's got his own production company now. So he's right. I mean, money. you know, I mean, that guy's done great for himself. I mean, oh I mean, yeah. I mean, I read that he's worth eight hundred million dollars. He's like yeah, the number one uh, richest actor in the world. So right, more power to him. You know. Yeah. He's a nice guy, from what I understand. Oh yeah, sounds like a great guy. Yeah, you know, so good for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jared. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. Always great to talk to you, and we'll talk again soon. Whenever the next big documentary comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. Always great to talk to you. All right, Jared. Take care, John. Bye. Right, you too, buddy. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. Thank you to Jerry Brano for once again joining us on the podcast. I always like talking to Jerry. He's always got great stories. I also want to thank our Patreon donors for helping to contribute to the podcast. I could not keep this show going without you guys. So thank you to all of you who are Patreon donors. If you guys are interested in becoming a Patreon donor, I will have the link right below in the description of this podcast. You can click on that and become a Patreon donor. We've got different levels of sponsorship, or you can go to our official website, which is bodybuildinglegendshow.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a link that will take you to the Patreon page. So I appreciate all you guys for continuing to sponsor the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. All right. Without any further ado, let me read this article that came from Rick Wayne. And the title of the article is From Where I Sat. And this was written about the 1969 Mr. Olympia. It says, Webster's Dictionary defines the word event as, quote, a happening, an occurrence, especially an important occurrence. It is therefore quite nauseating to find the word so often recklessly abused by inconsiderate journalists who will indulge a penchant for outrageous superlatives, regardless of the mediocrity of the function featured in their reports. One might be excused a deja vu attitude in respects to muscle shows generally, having participated in a large number of physique contests and exhibitions in various parts of the world. But I confess without the slightest hesitation that the annual IFBB extravaganza, the Mr. Olympia event, never fails to amaze, thrill, or even inspire me. Here indeed is a notable bodybuilding occurrence that never ceases to attract competitors and spectators from at least three dozen different countries. But the 1969 show promised the greatest threat of all. Sergio Oliva, the myth that breeds, that muscle phenomenon of the weeder generation who had already accounted for the demise of Poole, Sipes, and yes, some say even Larry Scott, would be facing the greatest threat to his bodybuilding supremacy. 
The fans had not forgotten the fact that no one dared show up against the Cuban emigre in 1968. And just when Musseldom was beginning to accept Sergio Oliva as its undisputed king, a comparatively unknown upstart had decided to challenge the myth's right to his coveted position. If Sergio had been deluded after the 1968 non-event into thinking he could collect the $1,000 Mr. Olympia cash prize, no sweat style, for a few more years, he must have come down to earth with a liver-exploding jolt. The myth is no fool. In spite of the talk, the pre-contest leg pulling, the wild rumors that Arnold is fatter than ever, he must have known he'd have a real fight on his hands for a change. Suddenly, Arnold Schwarzenegger had descended from the hills, and he was making rude noises at the champ. Someone was in need of a lesson, and the fans could hardly wait to find out who would be on the receiving end. How will this blasé New York crowd react when Arnold really turns on the heat? More important, how will Sergio react? Candidly, how good is Sergio this year? How good does he have to be to meet this amazing youngster from Austria? Conjecture and more conjecture. The truth would soon be known. Backstage, Sergio Oliva is conspicuous by his absence. He performed a disappearing act that would do justice to Houdini. His butcher's overall dressing gown hanging on a nail in the dressing room is the only clue in the mystery. We guess Sergio is preparing for the big battle in a secret hideaway somewhere in the building. Bud Parker says a prayer in the hope that Mr. Oliva will know when he's due on stage. Earlier, the monarch of Musseldom had refused, just as Scott had before him, to be the first to pose in the Mr. Olympia contest. And while everyone else was rushing around desperately trying to keep things organized, Arnold Schwarzenegger was sitting quietly in the wings, covered from neck to knee in a gold silk wrap, completely in control of his cool. The sound of slow hand clapping catches our ears. The impatient audience is expressing an urgent expectation that grips every man in the theater. Bud Parker's voice restores some semblance of order. Arnold Schwarzenegger will now pose for the title of Mr. Olympia 1969. The Arnold who stands on the podium appears formidable. He is motionless for a second or two. He smiles and wham, he hits an incredible double bicep pose that stills every voice in the auditorium. You could have heard a pin drop to coin a phrase. He moves his hip to the left side and with the slightest of leg movements gets into the now famous Schwarzenegger side chest pose. Pectorals, deltoids, biceps jump at his command. How could a man so massive possess a waist that small? And the definition, the effect is stupefying. His left arm goes up, the forearm moves towards his head, activating the most incredible biceps on earth. But still, the audience is quiet. Arnold turns, displays a back you wouldn't believe, and strikes stark, teeth-chattering terror into the hearts of those Oliva supporters who were foolhardy enough to turn up at their Sergio is King t-shirts. And there's more punishment in store. Slowly, with sadistic deliberation, Schwarzenegger raises his six-foot-two frame until his 240 pounds are balanced on his toes. He appears even more prodigious. Those calves that once inspired so many tactless jokes that only 12 months before did not rate a second look now demanded and received undivided attention. As if of a mind all their own, they jumped, twitched, stretched, and bunched up until the audience could contain itself no longer. Judging by their stunned reaction to Schwarzenegger's display, it seemed that everyone in the theater was an Oliva fan who had come to watch the hero wipe out yet another adversary. But suddenly, Schwarzenegger's message had been received loud and clear. I am Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sergio Oliva has met a man at last. 
the shouting, the vociferous cheers, and pleading for more threatened to destroy my hearing, and I put my hands protectively over my ears. It had not been easy, but now Arnold had convinced the fans that he meant to push Sergio to the limit. A smile creased his handsome face as he hit the most muscular pose and tore the house up. Then he bowed and, ignoring the shouts for more, walked off into the near darkness of the wings. I shook his hand, expressing my pleasure at his success. And for the first time in the four years I have known Arnold, it occurred to me that under that incredible mass of muscle, he was but a mere youth playing a man's game and winning. I wish to state at this time that I was present at the very first Mr. Olympia contest when Larry Scott walked all over Earl Menard and Harold Poole. I wrote of that occasion in glowing superlatives. Scott was the, quote, eighth wonder of the world, unquote, and the control he exercised over the emotions of his numerous fans was nothing if not magical. His physique was astounding, and I said so with unbridled enthusiasm. On that memorable night, it seemed to me that Larry Scott was the epitome of physical perfection, and there could never be a physique star who possessed his charisma or muscular development. I exhausted my vocabulary enthusing to the world about Scott. Little did I imagine the day would come when even my superlatives could not adequately describe a star. But then who could have imagined Sergio Oliva? The audience had been chanting his name a full five minutes before the myth actually materialized. I remembered his oft-repeated declaration. You're going to see something, but you ain't going to believe it. Land sakes, I rubbed my eyes, desperately trying to focus on that which just couldn't be, but was. Sergio Oliva was greater than ever. He jigged around the posing platform as if to some hot tune that only he could hear. He blew a kiss to his loyal subjects and threw up those arms in that oh-so-typically Sergio fashion. Too much. Forget it. Lay it on me, babe. Sergio Oliva was enjoying the contest. In his own wordless, inimitable style, he was reassuring his audience that, I ain't going to let you down, babe. Fantastic pose followed mind-blowing pose. How can I describe that which my mind still cannot fully accept? The faculties simply do not function when one is under the mesmerizing effect of Sergio's presence. How many poses did he strike? How should I know? Suffice to say that the fans were crawling all over the stage in their attempt to be near their hero in his hour of need. And then Sergio was gone, leaving those poor judges bewitched, very bothered, and utterly bewildered. Backstage, Sergio was treating one and all to his big act. Heck, why didn't they let me pump up? I could have pumped up a whole lot more, he screamed. Out front, the New York police were earning their bread the hard way. The fans wanted Oliva and wouldn't wait for the result of the contest. The chanting was at full volume. Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. It did not seem no matter how good or bad Arnold was. Sergio was king, and the joint was crawling with his loyal subjects. Someone remarked that if Arnold took the title, the judges' lives wouldn't be worth a nickel. And throughout the screaming, the raving, and riotous behavior, the jovial Arnold maintained as cool as ever. His opinion of Sergio? He's incredible, he told me. The two super champs were then called back to pose on stage. It seems the judges could not make up their minds. And that's when the fun really started. Pose, someone shouted. But neither Arnold nor Sergio would flex a muscle. Both wanted the other to make the first move. Eventually, Arnold hit the bring the house down double bicep shot. Sergio retaliated with his arms above head pose. Pandemonium. Sergio, Sergio, screamed the fans. A chest pose by Arnold, an attempt at the same shot by Sergio. A last minute change of mind and into his version of the most muscular shot. More screams for Sergio. 
and Arnold just continued smiling. In the end, Sergio retained his Mr. Olympia crown. My own opinion of the judge's decision is irrelevant. Both men are my friends, and I would hate to cause them embarrassment. They possess the most fantastic physiques the world has ever known. Sergio is convinced Arnold will become the greatest ever. Some say Arnold is the greatest. At 22, he can afford to wait until the whole world accepts him as king. Three minutes after the decision had been announced and Sergio had collected his $1,000 cash prize, the great man told me that had been his last contest. He would settle with his lovely wife in Chicago and devote time to running his gymnasium. However, by 10 a.m. the next day, he had decided to have one more go. Who can tell with Sergio? I firmly believe my friend will be back. He needs to know that there is no one around who could take his crown. He will not be forced into retirement. Sergio cannot bear the thought of anyone saying he had packed it all up on account of Schwarzenegger. He's heard the rumors that Scott gave up because of him, and only a really convincing victory at next year's Mr. Olympia will restore his peace of mind. Only then will Sergio Oliva, the acclaimed greatest in muscledom, retire. We have peace with himself. Sergio Oliva will be back. And of course, he was back the next year, and Arnold did beat him in 1970 at the town hall in New York City. And the rest is history. All right. That is it for our show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next week, we will be back with an interview with Brian Moss, who was the owner of Better Bodies Gym in the 1980s. You guys will really like this interview. I hope you tune in. Till then, stay safe, train hard, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care.